Jesus, this morning we thank you that you've been faithful.
Your goodness is running after 
love you. Lord, we offer ourselves afresh to you. Take our lives and use them for your glory. Take our lives and let them become your instruments and vessels of righteousness. Take our lives and let they become your lighthouses as we walk through this darkened world. Take our lives, Lord. May the fire of your Holy Spirit make us more and more like Jesus. And may your grace and your mercy not just come upon us, but flow through us that we might be your ministers to affect the world in which you've placed us. Use us to speak as your ambassador. Use us to work as your laborer. Use us, O oh Lord, as that holy vessel that your anointing can flow through to lift up others and minister to those that are hurting. O oh God, we offer ourselves to you. Use us as your living sacrifice. May our lives bring you glory. May our lives praise your name. And all God's people said, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. He's wonderful. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. We thank you. We reverence you. We offer ourselves to you. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Children, you are dismissed. The children's church. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. There they go. What a good God we serve. Amen. Hey, Pastor Todd, would you mind hitting that, hitting that button one more time for me, the thermostat right there? I can take it cooler. Thank you. I don't know anybody else, but yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, brother. Amen. Amen, amen. It's bad when you haven't even read your text and you're a little warm. Amen? Just imagine when we get the smoke going. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, good morning. Take a look at you. Some of you awake. Come on. That's all right. That's the only problem with getting them cushy seats for the people, you know. <laughs> Every now and again, I said, Lord, maybe I should have went with hard pews. That you keep you awake right there. Isn't that right? Anybody remember the hard pews? Remember those days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, hard to get comfortable on them. Amen? If you have your Bibles, let's go to Revelation, the third chapter. We're going to complete a series this morning from the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus is giving messages to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey for the most part. John the Apostle, as an older man, was sent to a Roman penal colony, an island called Patnamis, an island about 30 miles or so off the coast of Turkey, and it was a rocky, barren, ugly island, and they would send enemies to the state there hoping they would just die from the elements or whatever, but nothing really could kill John, and the Bible says that on the Lord's Day, he was in the spirit. Amen? Woo! Get in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he had a glorious visitation from the Lord Jesus. It was overwhelming. It's hard to describe. But he fell at his face. And then the Lord Jesus spoke to him and gave him seven messages for seven different churches that John was to deliver and write. And so those messages that were to seven churches back then are also lessons and messages to all the churches and all the people of God today. And so we've been going through that in the last few weeks. We've been going through these seven churches, and now we're on number seven. 
And our goal as we look through here is we want to say, what does the Lord applaud? What does the Lord approve of? What does Jesus condemn and what does he warn us about? Because as we've been saying, there are messages to them, but there are lessons for us, for the now. So we want to hear what the Lord is saying to his people. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 3, starting with verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can really become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Turn around, change. Here I am. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, open that door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious or overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious. I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I want to talk this morning about the church of Laodicea. The last of our seven churches. Now, it would have been nice to reverse the order and finish with the Philadelphia church like we did last week and just talk about that open door and everybody can say Yahoo and run the aisles, but we're just going in order. And the last one that the Holy Spirit seemed fit to put here, Laodicea. And it's the most needy church of all. We want to learn from it. It was a church that was full of indifference. And then they became ignorant of their condition kind of hard to get through to someone when they're ignorant of their condition the church is strongly warned by the lord i mean we read the words of jesus but then in mercy he counsels them how they can turn it around i thank god that if you really mean business with the lord you can turn it around you can be restored a church can be restored. A family, an individual can be restored to spiritual life and spiritual health and, of course, heavenly approval, which is the most important thing of all. So we start out, verse 14, the destination of the letter. Destination, Laodicea, modern-day Turkey. Under Roman rule, the city had become very wealthy and very prosperous. It profited greatly from, um, it was a center for banking, for medicine, and for commerce. But unfortunately, their economic prosperity lulled the church into a sleep and a false security. I know some people, I've said this before on Wednesday nights, there's some people that I've passed, I said, Lord, don't bless them too much. Uh, Lord, I wish you could bless them more, but I know that group, they start getting blessed, they start getting too much fun, and they can't handle the blessing. I mean, it's not the best that God has for people, but if they can't handle the blessing, keep them under some trials, Lord. It's the only way to keep them saved. Come on, say amen. Let's look on. Verse 14. Stick with verse 14. I want you to notice now the description of our Lord, the description Jesus gives of himself. He identifies himself by using three divine titles. 
He calls himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. Number one, the Amen. That's the final voice, the final word of authority. That's Jesus. It's a unique title, but it speaks here of truth and certainty and affirmation. Amen is often used in Scripture to affirm the truthfulness of a statement. Can you say amen? You're you're affirming the truth. It's acknowledging that which is sure and valid so we can see clearly how Jesus is certainly the amen of God, the amen of heaven is Jesus Christ. We say amen, we're saying, Lord, we affirm the truthfulness. He is. He is. Now Paul writes concerning Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises, hundreds and thousands, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen or the, that's right, Lord, is spoken by us for the glory of God. Jesus is the amen. Through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, through his person, through his work, through his triumph, all of God's good promises, all of God's covenant blessings are fulfilled and they're guaranteed. They are secured and they are settled in Christ. Jesus is the amen of God. All of God's promise, whether it's forgiveness or whether it's his faithfulness, whether mercy, love, whether it's eternal life, they're all bound up in Jesus, in Christ. They have come to us in Christ. They are guaranteed and settled to him that will believe. He is the amen of God because every promise comes through him. He is the one that achieved them, who earned them, who accomplished them, who attained them. He confirms them. All the promises of God, it's through Jesus Christ and Him alone that all of the blessings of heaven flow to the believer. Jesus is the amen of God. Through Jesus Christ, every great and precious promise that you read in that Bible flows into the life of the believer. Every promise, salvation, transformation, new life, new creation, new birth, protection, provision, His power, the second coming, Every good promise you read, it is settled, it is secured, it is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. I can tell you this morning, without a shadow of a doubt, all things will work together for them that love God. Guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Guaranteed in Jesus Christ. No weapon is formed against you will ever prosper and your needs will be met. Your steps will be ordered and you will receive power to live this life. Guaranteed in Jesus Christ. The Amen of God. Every promise you need, it doesn't come because of a church doctrine or dogma. It doesn't come because of a natural heritage. It comes through Christ and through Christ alone. One glad morning, those that love the Lord will close their eyes here and open them in heaven. That is guaranteed in Jesus Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, he is the yes and the amen of God. He is the one that not only earned and achieved the blessing, he grew grants the blessing to those that love him and follow after him. He is the amen of God. Love that name. Praise that name. Bless that name. See, it's very, very important. 
Young believer especially, take this down. Very, very important for a victorious and overcoming Christian life to know the promises of God. You see, not every Christian lives a victorious and overcoming Christian life. That's sad, but it's true. Some are getting in, but you see their life, it's never consistent, it's never strong, doesn't affect a whole bunch, never grows a whole lot. Not every Christian, unfortunately, pays the price to live a victorious, overcoming life. Spiritual things aren't that mysterious. It's no different than anything else. You'll get out of something what you... And some put very little in. But young Christian, if you want to live an overcoming Christian life, very, very important for you to know and read and love and meditate on the promises of God. Very, very important. The promises of God reveal the heart of God. The promises of God guarantee to you the will of God. The promises of God show you what you can believe and expect from God. It's the promises of God that give us peace in our hearts when we have to walk through the hard times of life. Life might not always be easy and the path we're called to take might not always be pleasant. But I've got a promise from God that gives a peace in my heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. The promises of God give peace to my heart. The promises of God give a fuel to my fight because when I have to face and address certain things of life. I don't just address them in my own strength or with my own wits or intellect. I can pull out the sword of God's promise and I can declare it and I can announce it and I can watch that mountain melt into the heart of the sea. You can declare no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You can declare I am strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I'm putting on the whole armor of God and I'm going to stand and do all to stand. So, young believer, learn your promises. Love your promises. Learn to memorize and be able to speak and meditate on your promises. There's a whole lot of words out there. And I don't want to go off track, but so many people listen to the wrong word. Watch what you listen to on that stupid computer, for heaven's sakes. If you got too much time on that computer, show up to a prayer meeting once in a while. But you're a lot better off. Come on, say amen. I know said to myself, I wouldn't go down there, but I'm going down there. Learn the promises of God. Learn the promises of God. Learn what God says. Learn what belongs to you as a child of God. Learn to what you can stand upon as a child. I got some blessings. Amen. I want to know them blessings are. Isn't that right? You know that, right? You had a rich grandpa and he kicked the bucket. Finally, praise the Lord with Jesus. Amen. First thing you want to find out, did he leave me anything? And if he did, what is it? Don't care what he left Uncle Keith. I want to know he left me. Isn't that right? When I got saved, I found out there's a beautiful will and testimony called that Bible. And in that Bible is some wonderful inheritance that I've received in the Lord. In the Lord. I want to find out what belongs to me. I want to find out what Jesus has purchased me. I want to find out what my Heavenly Father wants to give to me. But if you're ignorant of the blessing, you won't claim it, you won't possess it, and you won't walk in the victory of it. Come on, say amen. He is the amen of God. He is the amen of God. Young Christians, learn the promises of God. When life throws something out, you can stand on a promise. It'll give peace to your heart. And you can walk through with the peace and comfort of God knowing God's going to take care of me. He promised he would. 
God will meet my needs. He promised he would. God will go before me. He promised he would. God will give me wisdom. He promised he would. God will supply my needs. He promised he would. The Lord will protect me like a mighty shield. He promised he would. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the amen of God. Woo. Can you say amen? Jesus Christ also identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. Same verse, same verse, a loaded verse. Verse 14, loaded verse. Now, the faithful and true witness will stand in contrast to the deceit and superficiality that characterized the Laodicean church. Remember, they, they said, we're this and we're that, and Jesus said, <laughs> not hardly, not hardly. Jesus is the true witness. That means his words are completely true trustworthy, accurate, and reliable. Do you want to know what the Almighty says about something? Then go to the book. No, no, don't don't go to your favorite news channel. Do you want to know what the Almighty says about anything? Go to the What he tells this church, what he tells you and I, his diagnosis is always correct and accurate. How about that? Isn't that right? Because he is the true witness. Jesus Christ is the true witness of heaven. And when he speaks something to us, let's not fight with him about it. Say, yes, Lord, you're right. And I'm going to change in that area. Or, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm going to believe that and begin to act as if that is true. Come on. Jesus Christ, he is the faithful and the true witness. He is the one whose words are true and eternal. Heaven and earth might pass away. His word will abide forever. Isn't that right? When the latest big, you know, a breath, you know, whatever, is long gone. And the people of little intelligence are running after the next big mouth. The word of the Lord will be clear and consistent And concrete again and again and again. Fall in love with this book. Love this book. Honor this book. Learn it. Meditate on it. Let it guide your life. Let it console your life. Let it anoint your life. This book, this book, this book. All right. Jesus is the one whose words are true and eternal. And his faithfulness. Anybody here know anything about the faithfulness of God? Yeah, I knew it was in the right place. Amen. Yes, Lord. Where would we be without that faithfulness? He identifies himself as the faithful and true witness, the faithful. The Bible says that his faithfulness is great. It endures to all generations. Man, I like that. All generations. That means what he did in Mama's day, he can do today. What he did in Abraham's day, he can do today. What he did in Moses' day, what he did in David's day, he is the I am. He changes not. What he did then, he can do today. His faithfulness endures to each generation. If we'll serve God like they did, we can receive the blessing and visitation of God like they did. You know, old Pastor Veach, he was something else. He just the old you know, farmer come off the feet, a prophet of God. And one when the old lady said, Why don't we see things like we used to? He says, Give me some Christians like we used to. We might. Amen. 
Amen. Oh, no, Pastor Beach. I forget. No, no, no. But the Bible talks about the faithfulness of God endures through all generations. What a glorious thought. We don't have to think somehow things aren't like they used to be. They can be better than they used to be. If we'll seek Him like they used to seek Him and trust Him like they used to trust Him and honor Him, God will do today what He did yesterday. I said, He's the same as He was in Mama's day. He's the same as He was in Abraham's day. In Abraham's day, he made the barren womb fruitful and today he's still bringing life to lives that are dead and dark and he's lifting up people making them whole he is a resurrection he is the life he's the same God today as he was in Moses' day when he opened the Red Sea and brought his people through somebody he still makes a way where there seems to be no way he still brings his people out that he might bring his people in your God is a great God don't you be afraid of what you're facing if you're in the will of God God will work his good work in your life he'll open the Red Sea he'll drown Pharaoh he'll bring you all through to a better place to a precious place somebody say amen he is the same God as he was in David's day and he's still able to anoint your efforts to see that giant of a problem in your life come tumbling down. Hallelujah. If only granny was here to pray. You don't need granny. You pray. You seek the Lord. You stand on that promise and God will work in your life. Woo. We had enough of leaning on yesterday's stories. We need to get some of our own stories. Amen. I mean, unless Jesus lost a step. I know we're all losing a step, but not Jesus. He never loses nothing. Isn't that right? You know, we're all walking like this. You know what I mean? This thing goes out. Here we go this way. Isn't that true? Isn't that right? We're losing it back here. You know, we all, that's the way it goes. And I forget. Man, I wasn't even, I was barely, I wasn't even barely 40. Come to church. Church, I was passing. Come in early one Sunday night. Going to have one of those, um, one of those, you know, um, blessings. Um, when the little girls get their honor scouts thing. What do the girls get? Honor stars, right? And so I come in early to sit down and, they're practicing their honor star deal. And I'm looking up at that screen saying, man, I wonder whose father that is. He's got off a big ball spot on the back of his head. I said, what was my ball spot? I said, Lord, have mercy. It took, it took me a while to realize I'm the only one sitting here. Amen. I said, I'm just trying to say, you and I get weary, but God doesn't get weary. You and I get frustrated in our fatigue, and we feel at times like we're going back to once we came. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want someone to know God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Therefore, the faithful one says, child of God, trust in me. Lean on me. Cast your burden and your care on me I will never leave thee and I will never forsake thee oh the faithful one declares to his people today fear not you might be facing a storm like you've never faced before but you're not facing it alone the one that saved you is with you he'll never fail you oh fear not you might be going through something that's challenging your faith like never before how often we say to one oh pastor I've never been this way before. Never dealt with something in this situation before. But all oh, the faithful one declares to his people, just keep trusting me. Just keep leaning on me. Get a hold of my hand. I'll bring you through. Come on, say amen. 
God is faithful. That's his name, faithful. Woo! You think God will bail me out? What's his name? Faithful. Faithful. That's all this is his name. Faithful. He's faithful. We're not so much, but he sure is. And even when we miss it, he don't miss it. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is lovely. That's why we bless him. That's why we sing to him. Amen? That's why I hear Brother Angel back here. It's not like he got a little tear in his eyes. So it's all, all my life he has been faithful. My God, I'm getting ready just to weep and shout. And you know, if I could run, sometimes I would, but sometimes you can't. You know what I'm saying? But oh, hallelujah. Is your God faithful? That's why when we sing, we sing. That's why we're not ashamed to lift those arms. Shed that tear. This God's been good. We're not singing about a God we don't know. We're talking about one we've walked with a lot of times. He's brought us a mighty long way through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. His grace, it's His grace, not my wits. His grace, not my strength. His grace, not my ability to gnaw it out. His grace has brought me safe thus far. Good news, His grace going to lead you on, going to lead you on. How look, God is faithful. That's all you needed to hear. God is faithful. But you don't know what I'm facing. God is faithful. You don't know what the doctor said, but God is faithful. Woo! Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Man. Hallelujah. Whoa. And a wonder Pentecost. Glory to God. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Storms beating against your soul. Fear not. God is faithful. He will hold you and he will keep you. And he will bring you through the darkness of the night. They've all walked out of me. Jesus walking in on you. God is faithful. Others might bail. He don't bail. Sticks with you through thick and thin. Hallelujah. Glory to God forevermore. Oh, what a God. 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 Aren't you glad the battle's the Lord's battle? Tell your neighbor, the battle's the Lord's battle. Relax. The battle's the Lord's battle. Oh, he's been this way before. He'll take care of you. The battle is the Lord's battle. Don't mind me. I just like to come to church. Might as well get some fun here. Amen? Might as well preach. We've been to our share of funerals. We might as well get something shouting around here, brother. Jesus Christ, the one we love, the one we serve, the one we've given our lives to. He describes himself as the amen of God. Every promise, every good thing comes through Jesus Christ. He is the guarantee, the amen of God. Hallelujah. And he says, I'm, I'm the true and faithful one. His words are reliable and trustworthy. You don't got to be lost. Like so many in the church, to get away from the book, the light of the book. Forget the world. They're lost. We know they're lost. People are always drifting, falling apart, following the, the, the ways of this world or the, the new philosophy that you hear from governments or you hear from education. And you wonder why the family falls apart. You wonder why all these things. You you can't ignore the divine designer's plan without taking some repercussions from it. But if we remember he is the truth and his word is reliable and build on that word, we can live, we can walk in the light and not stumble in the darkness. He's the faithful one. So whatever you're facing, 
Go ahead and trust him. Whatever you're going through, cast that burden upon him. He is faithful. Sometimes we are, life overwhelms us. Sometimes it seems like we've got no one that will stand with us. But Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll take you through it. You can trust in the faithful one. Amen. Amen of God, the faithful and true witness. In the ruler of God's creation, even beyond the church, Jesus reigns over all, over the nations. All things were made by him and for him, the Bible says. Things visible, things invisible. He is the Lord over all creation. And at his knee, every, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. There's a description. Now let's go to the diagnosis of the church. Mm. Verses 15 through. Here Jesus gives the church his diagnosis. And the sad thing is he's got nothing good to say. And we got problems here, don't we? I mean, Jesus got an upset stomach looking at this church. And they don't realize God's outside trying to get in their church. Man, we got problems somewhere, don't we? Yeah, that's a problem. There's a problem right there. Now, Jesus had nothing good to say. He exposes their failures yet. Man, he's so full of mercy. Even when there's nothing good to say. Even when they've lived such crazy lives, they don't even realize Jesus is outside trying to get in. Yet, because of his mercy. He gives them a prescription for hope and healing. Thank God it's not too late. If you still got breath in your lungs, it's not too late. If you can hear the sound of my voice, it's not too late to get things right. To respond to the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart through his word, through his circumstance, and coming to that place where you put Christ first. And he begins to live like you ought to live. Now, the trouble with this church, though, and there's where we struggle, the church was blind to its own need and unwilling to face the truth. You can give someone the best advice in the world, but they're not hearing you. Make a difference, does it? Here, Jesus is giving them advice. It make any difference. If you don't want to hear it, the key for growing and walking with God, if we want God's best for our lives, we must be honest with God and let God be honest with us. Amen? Really, the, the beginning of any good positive change is starting out with being honest with my present status. I'm not going to try to improve something but I think I'm real good at it. I have to be honest enough to realize, you know, and here's an area that I need to address. Here's an area that I need to really be honest about so I can make some positive changes in. It's the same thing spiritually. As long as the church thought they were doing okay, well, they just went about business as normal. Hence, Jesus had to come in and speak such harsh words to wake them up and let them know, hang on, you've been lulled. <laughs> you've got acclimated, and you think you're one thing, but really you're not. So wake up so we can really become what you said you were. So let's look a little closer here. Now, I want to break down the diagnosis into three parts. These things brought this church to a terrible place spiritually. So let's avoid these things at all costs. Whether individually, as a family, as a church body, let's avoid these things, okay? God's greed. And Jesus is outside trying to get in. Can you imagine that? Oh, Lord. Number one, number one, let's break it down. 
they lost their vigor, or we should call their enthusiasm, their energy. Go ahead and look with me if you were 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one. So because you're lukewarm, that's the phrase Jesus used, lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Now these are the words of Jesus. Not some 1930 Pentecostal preacher under a tent. These are Jesus' words, so we need to reverence them, and we need to let them teach us something. Amen? All right. They lost their vigor. They lost their spiritual fire. From reading these words from the mouths of our Lord, we see how God feels about lukewarmness, indifference, complacency, half-heartedness. Lukewarm Christians are kind of um, comfortable in a deceptive type way. They're, they're comfortable, but they're in a dangerous situation. It's one thing to be comfortable when you're in a good place, but they were comfortable and they weren't in a good place, so that was very deceptive. They, they were very casual. They were very complacent in their Christianity. That comes about because somewhere along the line, they had compromised their beliefs and then their behaviors. Worse still, as we just said, they didn't realize their need. They were in such a state that Jesus describes, yet they thought things were okay, so that makes it even worse, compounds the problem. That's why Jesus is addressing things so strongly. He really has to wake them up and alert them to their true condition. Now, you know, friends, God, God has done, as we just got done shouting and singing about, God has done so much for you and I. But indifference begins to lead to ingratitude. It's really not hard to understand why the heart of God was so wounded and why the words of the Lord are so strong. After all he's done for you and I, how good he's been. You and I were so unworthy, yet God was so full of mercy. How can we just treat him down here and all these other things? The one that loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for our sins. The one that the Bible says, while you and I were still sinners, he died for us. While you and I were lost, when you and I were, we weren't trying to do good, man. We were at our worst, but God was still full of mercy and grace towards you and I. And now that we've come to enjoy that wonderful forgiveness and compassion of the Lord, how is it that we can drift to a place of indifference? and a callousness, and an inconsistency in the things of God. You see, they had compromised with the world. That's how the, they, you get lukewarm. Somehow or another, you begin to water down the word and become inconsistent in devotion. And that begins to bring a person to a place where temporal pleasures and temporal priorities become more important than the eternal. And this caused the church or the individual to lose their fervent love towards the one that had done so much. To lose their sincere devotion to the one that was so devoted to go to the cross and despise the shame for you and I. And their lackluster attitude grieved the Lord. We can't read that verse or two with honesty and not realize how the heart of God was so wounded when he spoke to a people that had received so much and took it for granted. And their response was to grow casual 
and love the things of the world more than the Christ that had redeemed them. And we have to pray as individuals, as families, as a corporate church. We pray, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to keep our spiritual fire. Help us, Lord. Keep us fervent in our faith and zealous in our good works for you. Help us, Lord, to stay enthusiastic in our worship for you alone are worthy of our highest praise. Help us, Lord, to stay earnest in our commitment to you, Lord, and to your word. Just notice a couple of scriptures here how important it is to keep our spiritual fire, our spiritual enthusiasm burning and bright and strong for the Lord. Romans 12 and 11, Romans 12 and 11, well, Paul writes, let us never be lacking in zeal. Don't lack in zeal. Keep your zeal for God high and octane. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or your fire serving the Lord. The Bible says you got to keep your fire up. you got to keep the fire for Jesus burning in your heart. You know, we think about how Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 6, and he said, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And what he's saying is, Timothy, it's up to you to keep it going. And it's a picture, you know, when the fire starts burning down, there's embers, you've got to stir it up to get it going again. He's saying, Timothy, here's Timothy, a preacher. Here's Timothy, a man of God. But if you don't guard and tend to the fire, your own fire, you can go out. Amen? And so what we learn from this is that it's up to me, it's up to you, it's up to the individual to take the initiative to keep our love and our zeal and our enthusiasm for the Lord burning bright for Him. Again, whether you're a preacher or whoever you are, never ever blame anyone else for your place in Christ. It's all on you. It's an individual thing to keep our fire burning. To keep it stirred up. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it's it's important that we learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. But this church, number one, what led them? Because really, the words that, these words are, they're so unlike Jesus. But they're Jesus. Can you see how strong these words are? I mean, you don't, Jesus don't talk like this a lot. So it must have been a very serious thing he's dealing with. I don't want to get to the, and again, the, the worst thing is they thought they were okay. <laughs> yeah, I visited some places, they had all the right doctrine, but my Lord, I tried to be kind, but it was hard. It was the deadest thing. It's in the book. They thought everything was wonderful. Look, we still believe the 16 fundamental truths, but man, as dry as dust, pale as a corpse. More excited about the, wow, this is Jesus now. There there should be a a reverence in our hearts. When Jesus speaks like this, first thing I do, Lord, search myself. No sense in preaching to you if I'm guilty. We're going to ask this. Number one, they lost their fire. And so we think here. When a person loses their zeal for God, their enthusiasm, for his house, for his word, for witnessing, for praising. When we lose our passion for the Lord, number one, it starts us down a dangerous road. Because it doesn't happen overnight. But little by little, to a church finally got to the place where Jesus is outside trying to get in. Wow. Where Jesus is saying, yeah, I know you got nice windows and you got fancy music and you only got strobe lights. You're cool, yeah. But, but, but it's, it's a facade. That's what he was saying. 
So I recognize if I don't watch my spiritual fire, it leads me down a dangerous road. I don't want to get in this condition. I find out here that it's my personal responsibility to keep the fire burning in my heart. Amen? It's up to me. It's up to me. Others can encourage me. Others can pray for me. But ultimately, it's up to me. All right, so here's some advice. Do and practice the things that keep your fire burning for the Lord. That make sense? Do and practice the things that keep your fire burning for the Lord. Ask yourself, what things seem to add fuel to your spiritual fire? What are the things that you do that inspire you in faith, that inspire you in prayer, that inspire you in worship? Then ask yourself the same thing. What things seem to douse my fire for God? You see, I, I need to practice the things that keep you strong in the Lord and make them become a habit. You know, there's something about not now. Typically, if you practice these things, they begin to work on themselves and it's a good way to go. But listen, the things of God, ask yourself very simply, because I never want to get to the point where I think I'm something and God says I'm not. Where I think things are great and he's really on the outside trying to get through to me. All right? And I know it's my responsibility to keep the fire burning in my life. No one else's responsibility. I realize if I neglect this, it starts me down a very dangerous road. So I've got to ask myself, what are the things that I should be doing daily and weekly that keep the fire burning? What are the things that kind of throw a log on the fire of my faith? Amen? I want to practice those things. I want to make sure those things should become a, a habit, a spiritual hygiene, spiritual habit in my life. Come on, you with me? In the same token, I've got to be honest enough to realize certain things douse the fire. Certain things quench the fire. Certain things hinder and hurt my walk with God. Different for different people. But I love Jesus. You love Jesus? I don't want him to be knocking, let me in. I want, I want him to stay, commune and fellowship and walk with him. Amen? Isn't that right? I want to stay firm in the fire for, his, for praise and for obedience and for the good works. So ask myself that. And listen, please, for those that have created good habits, it just takes a life of its own. Amen? That right? You that word, you got to have that word. Amen? prayer you got to have that prayer god's house got to have that house man you just can't miss it can't miss it. but for those that don't listen don't just i remember a long time ago basic training <laughs> out, out in the desert out in new mexican desert right they're just killing you out there it's marks you drop and remember the drill sergeant so privates and they had some other choice words for us but hey privates drink your water drink i didn't ask you if you were thirsty private i just said drink your water when we stop and say drink, you drink your water and you change your socks. They knew if you wait till you're thirsty, it's too late. You drink your water. You stay hydrated. Don't wait till spiritually you're on fumes before you start coming back. Don't, don't wait till, oh God, the whole world's falling in me. I better get back and start reading some Bible and get back to a promise. No, no. Live this way. Live hydrated. Live spiritually hydrated. Can you say Amen. And if you create good habits, you'll live that overcoming life. Glory to God. I'm looking at my clock. I got a beautiful clock here. 
takes all excuses. Because that one looks like it's got three hands and I can't get it. So I guess I got no excuses. But but they lost their vigor. And when you lose your vigor and your fire, you know what next thing you're going to lose? You're going to lose your values. You lose your values. There's, what's, what's he say next? He says, listen, you say you're rich. You say everything's great. But I say. See, he judges things different. We like to judge things by the size of the choir and the beautiful stained glass windows. Nothing wrong with those things in their place. But that's not the ultimate way that Jesus judges and evaluates his people. It's that spiritual passion and devotion and obedience. They they lost their values. They lost their values. Because you lose your fire, and all of a sudden now, the values, the ability to appraise and appreciate something. To appraise something is to be able to appreciate and recognize the value in the nature of something. You ever see them? I don't watch them. I see the commercials, those antique shows. I see them the antique shows. I don't, I'm, that's not my thing, but I watch it, you know. I see the commercial. And, and you know, some, some joker thinks, oh, this must be worth a lot. And they bring it in, and God looks, that's worth a plug nickel, amen. <laughs> I know what they've been telling you for the last five generations, but, you know, great-great-grandpa, he just sold, he sold you a good one just to make it look good. You know, family tradition. You know, families can be, they just tell the story. Then someone else, yeah, I was cleaning out the garage, and I was just wondering, and the guy says, stop everything. What you hold is worth about $50,000, you know. The wife was getting ready to put a 25-cent sticker on it for the garage sale. Oh, Lord, I knew I had the mind of God to come and see you. Amen. And you can look at a piece of junk and not know what it's worth if you're not trained in that thing. Isn't that right? I look at the thing, I'm I'm constantly throwing stuff out, usually when they're not home. Out, out. They leave me home alone. It's dangerous. That's a good time to throw something out, amen? Stuff, stuff, stuff. I don't like stuff. Out, out. But you know, sometimes people can look at one thing. When you lose your fire for the Lord, that means you're not getting in the word. You're not in God's house. You're not praised. That intimacy, that intimacy. You know that, right? Isn't that right? When you're close to someone, you can read their signals real easy. Isn't that right? You read your signals better now than you did two years ago. When you stay close to Jesus... You can sense the spirit speaking real easy. When you don't, you get calloused. And things you should have picked up on six months earlier before it created a mess. Isn't that right? See, there's a beautiful thing that flows out of an intimate relationship. So, but when you lose that fire, your ability to distinguish and to make proper appraisals wanes. And so here's the church now thinking all this other stuff was really important. And Jesus is saying, no, you missed it. You say you're rich. You don't need anything. You don't realize? That's not what matters at all. That's not what matters at all. But one thing leads to the other. They can no longer appraise and make a proper appreciation of what their lives were like. And after a while, we, we begin to think this is really good and we miss what God really cares about. They, they lost their vigor. They lost their values. And lastly, they lost their vision. Because he says, listen, you're blind, but I got good news. I can touch your eyes, and I can help you see again. It's kind of neat. And when you just do this, uh, there's these, these teachings on, on a Sunday, you don't have time. Like on a Wednesday, you could take three weeks per, per church. Because each church, there's little kind of interesting facts about it. This city was famous for their eye salve. 
They were famous for medical stuff. And one of the things people all over the Roman Empire would go there, Laodicea, because they had an eye salve that could heal eyes, help eyes. And so Jesus kind of rived up with that. You know what I mean? Jesus is using that to make a point. You're noted for your eye salve. I got some eye salve. I got some Holy Ghost eye salve. Because your, your vision, you lost your vision. Lost your vision. But we pray, oh God, touch our eyes. So we can see things through heaven's perspective. Oh, we think about that beautiful vision. And we might see God's greatness. And we might see God's goodness. And we might see God's beauty. Then we might see God's harvest all around us. You won't get lukewarm when you have the vision of heaven. We think of Isaiah when he saw the Lord. And Lord willing, next week we'll get to that guy. Oh, when he saw the Lord. He had a vision of God. Then he got a vision of himself. Then he got a vision of that lost world that needed God. Oh, my hallelujah. And Jesus says, you lost your vision. You've lost your burden. You're not seeing things through heaven's eyes. You're seeing things through earthly vision. But if you ask me to touch your eyes, I'll touch your eyes with my spirit. And I'll enable you to see things from heaven's perspective. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Oh, what a God we serve. My, 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 my. He finishes up. Knocks on the door. We see number one. Go to that next one. I'm going to stay down here because that will make it shorter. And um, there we go. Explanation. Here's the explanation. Preacher, why do you preach like this? Well, Jesus does, so why shouldn't we? Jesus just did. You know why he did it? The explanation is he loves us. You love your children? You'll tell them it straight then, won't you? You love your children? Then you'll interrupt when you got to if you think they're going down. You love your children. How many know Jesus loves his children? So he starts out by saying, here's the explanation of why I spoke six strong words. There's those whom I love. Not those who I'm trying to get rid of, but those I love. I discipline. He speaks to us these words of warning and awakening because he loves us. He loves us. And he doesn't want to be on the outside trying to get in. He wants to walk close with us. He doesn't want us somehow drifting and getting some kind of false illusion of where we're at when really we're not where we need to be with God. His explanation is simple. I speak these words of awakening. I speak these words that might make you uncomfortable because I love you. And I I don't want you to keep going down that road. I want you to get back to the place you need to be. That's the explanation. And the exhortation, and you got to, this is the pleading of Christ, the pleading of Christ. You would think after how they insulted him, he'd say, but instead here he is pleading, I'm at the door knock, I'm knocking. I'm doing my best to awaken you because I want to come in and heal you. I want to come in and restore you. I want to come in. Get things right. And there's that invitation. Wonderful thing about the invitations of God. That God will knock. He'll knock through his word. He'll knock through his spirit. He'll knock through circumstances. God will knock to get our attention in various ways. But then, it's up to you and I to respond. There's that personal responsibility. God in his mercy, he knocks. God in his mercy, he pleads. God in his mercy, he just comes. 
I don't know about you, somebody insults me, I just, it's part of me, don't even want to deal with that, right? It's just, you know, what do you do? You un- untext them? I don't do it. Yeah, I like to do that, man. There he is. He invites them. He invites them. But he says, you know what? I've done the invitation. Now it's up to you to make the response. It's in your lap. I'm going to close. As my big clock says close. I'm going to close. We're going to open the altar. If you need prayer, come and let us pray with you. And let's ask the Lord to touch our eyes so we can see. Give us some fresh spiritual vision. Oh, that we could see through heaven's eyes. You know, your life will be changed if you could see through heaven's eyes. I'll close with this story. Everybody remember that man of God, uh, Brother Lester Summerall? Anybody remember Brother Summerall? Praise the Lord. Great missionary statesman. He tells a story. He was a teenager on his deathbed. He was a rebel. He goes, I was an old rebel running from God. And on my deathbed, doctor, give me a day or so to live. And I had a vision from Jesus. And he gave me a picture, showed me a picture of the Bible. He said, you preach that or you won't going to last till the morning. And so you know what he said, like all of us, I'll preach, I'll preach, amen. I mean, <laughs> I'll preach. And so he began preaching as a teenage preacher. Back hills of Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, there's little small country churches out there. You know, farmers come in, you hold them a little revival. It was back in the 30s, the 20s, you know, back in those days. And um, he said, but I have to be honest, I was preaching because I didn't want to go to hell. Not because I love people. So I preached some of the strongest messages of the 18, 19-year-old. I just, I just tore it up, you know. And then finally, after one service, I was some old, small town, middle of nowhere, staying in the farmer's house do chores for the farmer for my room and board, and then try to preach at night. He says, if you can call what I did at 19, preaching. He says, then finally, no, it wasn't even at night. It was during the service. Power of God swept in that little schoolhouse. He used to use schoolhouses for little revival meetings out in the country. And the power of God hit. I got knocked out under the power of God. I must have been there a few hours. Everyone was gone when I woke up. But God gave me a vision, heavenly vision. And I saw people of like from every nation, falling into the fire. It was just like a Niagara-type falls thing. But I could see people from, I could see like in their native dress, from Africa, from India, from all, and I, I could just see them. And it was so horrifying. And God said, it's your fault, Lester. It's your fault. Well, God, I don't even know these people. I called you to go to the world. And if you don't go, it's your fault. And he says something changed in my heart that day. And you know that man's ministry, he just, missions was his heartbeat. Missions was his heartbeat. Finally, he went from just being a preaching to someone that had the vision of heaven. And when, your, when God touches your eyes, you see everything differently. We pray, God, touch our eyes. We're going to open these altars. Come and stand, stand up, and we're going to open the altars. I'm going to pray the prayer. If you need prayer, we're going to pray with you. But, but, if, but if not, let's just pray, pray together as God speaks to our hearts. The Laodicean church, it was a church that greatly grieved the Lord and didn't realize God was on the outside, but we don't want that. We don't want that. Listen, friend, if Jesus has been knocking and dealing with you about anything, respond to him. He loves you. His way is perfect. His way is best. Respond to him. Let him in.
respond to the call. He remembers out of love that he deals with us. And then we're going to pray, Lord, touch our eyes this morning. Touch our eyes that we might see life through heaven's perspective. And that we might be willing to pay the price for that real close walk with God. Jesus said, come to me and buy some gold. You think you're rich? Pay the price for true riches. Let's be willing to pay the price to walk close with God. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to deal with us. Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough to deal with me, to speak to my heart, to bring that conviction when it's proper, to wake me up when it's needed. Lord Jesus, thank you for your disciplines of mercy that wake us up and bring us back. And Lord, I thank you that we can all have a precious and personal relationship with you. That if we'll respond to the call of the Spirit, we can walk in intimacy. We can commune with you. Now, Lord, touch our eyes that we might see through heaven's perspective. Touch our eyes and ignite our hearts with fresh fire this morning. That we might have a sincere enthusiasm and zeal for the things of God. And Lord, use us in this present hour to touch our world. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, let's worship the Lord. Ask God, touch your eyes that you might see. Touch your heart that you might walk with Him with a new zeal. If you need prayer, let's come. Let's believe God together.